Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Uniquely Better Life podcast hosted by the Willow Center here in Brownsburg, Indiana. My name is Chase Cotton. I'm the community director and your host. We're so excited to have our friend Allison here to talk about uh, episode four, self-care and mindfulness, which is such a huge topic. Uh, sometimes um, turns into just sort of a silly buzzword that's thrown around in the mental health and recovery community, but we want to take it a little deeper and, and tell you about how important this is, especially as a daily practice. So without further ado, let's go ahead and play our intro music, and then we'll get you introduced to Allison. Welcome, Allison. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm Allison. Um, I am also in recovery. Um, I just celebrated um, 18 months last Congratulations. month. Congratulations. That's Thank no small you. fee. It's hard work. Yeah, I didn't think um, I didn't think it was possible. Mm. Um, so that's pretty amazing. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I'm in recovery. Um, I actually, I struggled with um, substance abuse since I was probably like 15 or 16 in high school. Okay. Um, and I always kind of struggled. Then I got introduced to opiates. I do have um, a condition. It's called ulcerative colitis. Okay. Um, I've had it since I was about 12. That's rough. Yes. And when I was in my early 20s, um, I had a really, really bad flare and I was in the hospital for a month and a half. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's all right. Um, it comes you with know, like a lot of gut pain and stuff. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. It was, it was awful. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, um, I had legitimate pain and I was prescribed a lot of medication for that. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in there, I started using it and like self-medicating sure. um, emotional pain. Mm. So I think that that little transition between, you know, especially for prescri prescription painkillers between treating physical pain, and treating emotional pain. It's such a gray area, right? Like it, it is. And it, it meshed. And it like just blended all together. And I didn't even. I didn't even realize what was happening until it was happening, you know, and it was, I already was addicted to it. So, That's <laughs> you really know, difficult. And 18 struggle. months sober. That's yes. Amazing. Yes. Um, and I work at a treatment center, which I just, um, 18 months ago, I didn't think I would ever be able to be sober or have a job. And yeah. so the fact that I'm able to help others, um, and That's give amazing. back. And what's your role there at the treatment center? Um, I'm what they call a PEZ, a patient engagement specialist. Okay, very um, cool. So I spend the most time with the patients. Yeah. I'm back on the unit. Um, other facilities would probably call it like a tech. But. Nice. That's great. Well, thank you for working in the industry. Oh, it's absolutely. Really cool it's back. my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about why self-care and mindfulness is important to you personally before we get into some of the weeds. Um, personally, um, I think I was going through, uh, there at the end of my addiction, I had such a deep, I was in such a deep depression. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, I thought it was the drugs and alcohol, but I struggled to even, you know, shower, brush mm -hmm. my teeth, right? what I would consider now normal things, but they were not normal through my addiction. Um, sure. you know, I struggled to just like survive, Yeah. you know, so those basic necessities. So, so self-care played a role in helping you get out of that survival mode. Absolutely. Yes. Because I finally was able to start taking care of myself. Yeah. You know, um, 
and I wanted to take care of myself before I didn't even have a want to really do it. You know, um, every day was just a huge struggle. So, yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. So for the skeptic in that might be listening is self care and mindfulness, just like a bunch of hippie woo woo nonsense. Like we sometimes hear about it. I mean, I don't think it is. I can see that some people might think that, um, but I don't, I think it's incredibly important um, because, you know, there's a saying in the rooms, like you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm. And so, um, and I also have a tattoo to remind me, but you know, I can't love and help others if I'm not loving and helping myself first. That's really important. Exactly. You know, they, um, a lot of times, uh, the recovery community, you know, if you, they use the example, if you're in a plane and the ac- the oxygen masks drop, mm-hmm. you need to put yours on first so you can put if you're going to put one on a child or somebody else. Right. Um, and I think that's hard for people because most addicts for myself, I'm codependent, <laughs> sure. you know? So I always, it was always easier to help somebody else than mm-hmm. to help myself. Yeah. So in your opinion, what qualifies as self care and what doesn't like, how would you even define self care? I think that it can be pretty much anything, <laughs> okay. but, um, you know, showering, brushing your teeth, going to the dentist, doctor's appointments, um, for me, church is part of my self care. Yeah. Meetings, reading the big book, step work, meeting with other alcoholics, helping others. I feel like pretty much anything, yeah, can be self care. You know, mm-hmm. it just evolves the more for me, the more I was in recovery and the more time I had, the more my self care evolved and changed. Interesting. You know, at the beginning, it really was mostly trying not getting through each hour, sometimes a minute without using. Yeah. And then I started to add, you know, therapy, mm-hmm. you know, drug counseling classes, um, you know, and because of my ulcerative colitis, my health is a huge trigger. Right. And I needed to get all of that mental and physical health sure. taken care of. So it sounds to me that as you got healthier, your self-care methods themselves became even more robust. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Now, sometimes my self-care is... um you know, binge watching something on Netflix on my day <laughs> off. That might be all of our self Yeah, you know, like after four days of working at a treatment center, sometimes I got to take a day f- for just myself, right. you know, because like I said, you can't pour from an empty cup. I'm pretty useless to others if I'm not taking care of myself. Right. Um, but that's, that's hard sometimes. Absolutely. You know. So you shared with me that you had like a definition of self-care, like one you'd looked up that you wanted to share. Can you read that for us? Um, yes, I can. So it says the practice of taking an active role in protecting one's own well-being and happiness, in particular during periods of stress. Interesting. I I love the word protection that that definition uses. Mm -hmm. Protection. Because that's not how I, uh, well, at least in my own story, that's not how self-care was introduced to me, right? Mm -hmm. Self-care, sometimes I feel like it's relegated to just reactionary, right? Like, Something bad in my life is happening. Mm-hmm. I should take care of myself as opposed to things are okay right now. And I should protect myself through mm-hmm. self-care so that I'm more prepared for when things get rough. Yep. That's that's Absolutely. really fascinating to me. So how has that protective method played a role in your life? Um, well, I think that for the protection, sometimes I've had to, um, you know, cut certain toxic relationships out of my life. Mm, yeah. Um, because if I'm with somebody or spending time with somebody that is toxic for me, chances are I'm probably toxic to them as well. So when it comes to self care, uh, 
you know, as much as we all love binge watching Netflix, there's also different different times and forms that I uh, of activity that people call self care that I think could be unhealthy. So, what in your experience doesn't qualify as self care? Probably most um, addictive behaviors. Hmm. Overeating, over shopping. Yeah. You know, things like spending lots of money at in one like uh, sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm an addict, I want to do everything in excess, I feel like, you yeah. know. So I have to be careful to not overly do something, but then tell myself it's self care. Right. You know, going and spending thousands of dollars at the store because I'm sad is not self care. Mm. You know, that's not protecting my myself. That's me just participating in an addictive behavior and right. calling it self-care. That's really which, interesting. So what I hear you saying is that we, like, if we're not careful, we could use self-care as an excuse for bad behavior. Absolutely. I think of, uh, have Our, you ever seen the show Parks and Rec before? Yes. <laughs> when, uh, uh, when Tom is like, it's treat yourself day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then they go just spend ridiculous amounts of yeah, money and do things that are outlandish for themselves. Yeah. And because... I'm an addict. I, like I said, yeah, I want to do everything in excess Mm. and I have to be conscious of those behaviors. Right. You know, and that's when like a therapist and talking to another alcoholic comes in. Sure. Because sometimes I just need like opening up and sharing just what's going on in your life. That's self care. Yeah. You know, you can't keep all of that stuff in. So for sure. That's really important. And I think the role that people play in our lives, especially, you know, fellow, folks in recovery or fellow folks who have similar mental health experiences like those friendships I think are so key Mm -hmm. for our self-care as well absolutely I was um I mean this is the first time in my life I really had real relationships you know right because for as long as I can remember I was using Mm -hmm. so I never really I had such a fear of like being attached or getting used to somebody and then that fear of abandonment Mm, you know so that kept me Pretty much, I just was had a fear of almost anything and everything. Yeah. So I basically stayed away. I isolated myself, you know, to where I was just by myself in a room. You right. know what I mean? Right. So. That isolation is so hard. And I think there's probably a lot of listeners that struggle with that to varying degrees. Oh, yeah. Because um, I actually reached out to a friend in the program um, last week because I just moved into my own place. It's the first time Congrats. I've had my own place since I was 19. Wow. That's Thank awesome. you. So yeah. exciting. And I'm enjo- I've been enjoying it, but it's like I had to ask somebody else, like, "Hey, am I, am I lonely, or mm-hmm. am I isolating, or am I all right?" And she said, she told me, "There's a huge difference between loneliness and solitude, mm. you know." And so that just hit me pretty hard because I didn't. I mean, I really didn't know if I. It's like, am I lonely or am I isolating? My behaviors, especially my addictive behaviors, they were so ingrained in me that it's. Now when I kind of notice them, sometimes I have to ask somebody else. Right. You know, because my mind, my addiction's always back there. So it's going to mess with my thinking no matter what. Sure. Yeah, that's helpful to hear. So let's talk a little bit about, um, let's talk a little bit about like the components of self-care that are specific to recovery. You mentioned going to meetings. You mentioned having a sponsor, having friends in recovery. What other self-care activities do you think are, are unique and Furthermore, uniquely helpful for people in long-term recovery. Um, I think sleeping, eating right, exercise, hmm. um, mental health and doctor physical health, like doctor's appointments. Yeah. Helping others, I think, is 
a necessity. That is Helping how we stay is sober. Also a form of self care. Yes, it even says in the big book, you know, most of our, our addiction we're self self seeking, selfish, and self seeking. Mm-hmm. So you know, when anything happens in my life, I can usually I could spin it any way I want. Yeah. You know, they there's a saying in AA: victims don't recover. You know, and even though maybe I've been a victim of certain bad circumstances, if I sit and stay in that victim mentality, it only hurts me. Right. And so the way that I've found and that even the book tells us to get out of that is to help another alcoholic. Yeah. You know, so if I'm ever feeling like kind of like I'm throwing a pity party, I need to go help somebody else. And I think, you know, meetings and a sponsor and step work all of those are intertwined, you know, right. with, with helping others. That's mm-hmm. the whole idea, I think. So I just really do think no matter what stage we're in in our recovery, helping someone else 100% will make you feel good. That's awesome. Because I, I think that part of that concept of helping others is the, um, is the sense of purpose that it gives you. Right? Absolutely. And for a long time... Um, I can only speak on my experience, but I really didn't think I had a purpose. I thought my purpose was to be a heroin addict mm-hmm. and probably die that way. Yeah. And I really was at a point where I really thought that was all. That was mm. all I was intended to do. It's part of that disease mindset and the way yes. the substances work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've come such a long way. I, mean, I think that's incredible. It's a miracle. Amen. A true miracle. <laughs> so... um Based on both your personal experience as well as, you know, as a a person who is working in the treatment industry, what do you know about mindfulness practices and, and, you know, sort of how do you, how do you do mindfulness? Mindfulness, um, was a foreign concept to me because I lived so much in the past and the future, Yeah, but it really is just being present. Okay. So a lot of people do the five, four, three, two, one, where it's like notice five things, okay. four sounds, and you go down. And so at least identifying what's going on around you. So like uh, like tuning in your senses to exactly. your present moment. Yes. Hmm. Because a lot of us, well, like I said, I can only speak on my experience, but I did. I worried so much about trying to, I, could, I can't change the past, but I would spend right. almost a half of my all my time thinking about it. Sure. Or stressed out about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. That I'm not, in, I wasn't enjoying life at all. Right. And especially working in a treatment facility, you know, we have, ours is a residential. It's like 21 to 28 days. Right. There's a lot of stuff going on, you know, that we've, patients have left on the outside. So, of course, they want to get things like that taken care of. Sure. But sometimes we just need to be in the now. And even mm-hmm. sometimes I still use mindfulness because... I'm still a worrier, you know, yeah. <laughs> I worry about everything. So what do you use aside from the five senses tool? Um, I really do. That's what I use. That's your main one. Yes. Um, grounding, so like, which yeah, follows like, give us an example of the five senses. Like if, if the listener is not driving a car right now and could close their eyes or I guess keep them open for the exercise, depending on how would you walk them through it? Give us an example based on the room you're sitting in. Five things you can, I would do five things that you can see okay. because that's, I mean, you can look around and see all of those. So like I can see the lamp. I can see the bookshelf. I can see you speaking to me. I can see these notes I'm holding and I can see, you know, the floor and feel the floor. Yeah. And I would do, then you can do four things that you can touch. 
four things I can touch. Okay, so I can touch my lap. I can touch this microphone. I can touch my hands. I can feel my hands together, and I can touch the controls for this audio program I'm recording yeah, on. Yeah, and it's pretty quiet in here, but I would do like three things you can hear. Okay. Which if you're outside, that's a little easier. Sure, right. Nature sounds to be helpful. Yes. And here it's like, what? I know, you can barely <laughs> hear because we're recording talking. something, yeah. but... I guess I could hear the fan turning. Yeah. And I the, can hear somebody in the next room over. And the idea is, you know, while you're doing that stuff, you're at least not, you're not thinking about the past or the future. Right. So it kind of grounds you and brings you back down. Back to the present. Yeah. So what's two and one? Is smell one of them? Yes. Okay. So two things I can smell. I can smell the coffee we're drinking. Taste. That's one. There we go. That one's interesting. So it depends, not, yeah, yeah, what's going on around you. You know, you can kind of incorporate different ones. Like, so I suppose if you're tasting your coffee, you could incorporate taste. That's a really interesting tool. I appreciate that. Are you familiar with any other mindfulness tools that we can make the listeners aware of? I mean, I'm sure I am, but, okay, the breathing, that's one of them. Sorry. Mindful breathing. Yes, okay. mindful breathing, even trying to relax every muscle mm. um, from your head all the way down. Oh, so like a body scan. Yes, Body scanning. Nice. Yes. Um, even listening, like I said, noises or music. I listen to music a lot of times. Yeah. That's one and of that my helps main me. forms of self-care personally, too. Yes. I love concerts, all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something I can finally incorporate into my recovery. I can go to concerts again and not be so terrified that I'm going to, like, be tempted to use or something. Right. But music's a big one for me. Can you tell us more about mindful breathing? What does that mean? Um, so one of the breathing ones, it's called the four, seven, eight, and you close your lips and inhale through your nose for a count of four. Okay. Hold your breath for a count of seven. Okay. And then exhale completely through your mouth. Yeah. And you can even make that sound too. That's kind of part of it to help bring it you like, to reality. Yes. Because if you're focusing on that, then you're not focusing on the stuff you can't control. Mm-hmm. I think deep down, um, that does give us a sense of control. Right. Because I can control my breathing. And exactly. I can put my mind exactly. on it and I can think about how it feels in my belly or in exactly. my nose or throat. Exactly. Because we can't, um, a lot of stress and thinking about the past and the future is the is that control. Yeah. You know, and most um, every addict or alcoholic I talk to, most of us are control freaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know... Sometimes you can't control anything or anyone. All you can control is you and the way you respond to things. Right. And so by being able, I think, to do the breathing and the body scan and stuff, it does give us a sense of control, which is very calming. Yeah. Tell us more about body scan. Can you give us an example of that? Um, I do this sometimes when I'm trying to, if I'm having trouble sleeping. Okay. And you can do it during meditations too. But it's just kind of starting either at the bottom of your body or the top okay um and slowly like trying to relax each of those muscles so trying to identify you know where you carry your where exactly and to like slowly and that slowly relax all those muscles and just like like focusing my mind on my head Mm -hmm. and then on my neck yep neck even like you know sometimes we sit hunched with like our tongues up against the roof of our mouth and our jaws real tight yeah and we don't even realize that we're doing it Mm -hmm. and so when we do the body scan, it not only calms us, but we become more aware more of ourselves and what's going on with us. That's awesome. I think mindfulness could play a really huge role, especially 
like during a trigger or a craving. Has that ever been the case for you? Yes. Um, I was driving um, a few months ago and I don't know if it was the weather or where I was at. I, I was triggered. It was weird. I wasn't mm-hmm. used to that. Um, and I did some mindfulness stuff, but I usually have to reach out and talk to another alcoholic and tell on myself um, whether I'm going to act on it or not. Um, I need to at least acknowledge that I had that thought. Sure. And then I want to get it out because. So mindfulness is not about just pushing it away or pushing it down. It's about. No, it. we do. Yes, we have to feel our feelings, you mm. know. I ran from them for so long. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know how that worked, you know, and it's finally getting a little easier, but we're not going to be happy all the time. Things aren't going to be great all the time. Um, the important thing is to, it's okay. Sit, feel it, cope with it and move on. Yeah. That's good. So how would, how would you define, uh, mindfulness practices then? Or, or is there a definition you could share with us? Um, I did find one that I do like. Um, it says, My, but mindfulness is not complicated. It is simply an awareness of the present moment with an attitude of openness and acceptance. This simple practice can change our habitual reactions and emotional patterns and bring in a new perspective. I love that. So, so what are some of the benefits then, aside from just calming down in the moment, to practicing mindfulness and self-care like what else what other systems of ourselves is it going to improve yes i mean you will have a lower heart rate you'll probably be less stressed which your blood pressure would probably be lower um mental health it for sure helps with depression the shame and guilt Mm, oh Um, yeah i hadn't thought about you know um and i like that what i read they talk about acceptance um I had a huge problem accepting anything or anyone the way it was. I yeah. thought things should be the way I want it. Sure. Um, and that caused a lot, a lot, most problems in my life, actually. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, me focusing on trying to change things that I can't change is not only not healthy. I mean, it, I, I can't do it. So I just felt defeated all the time, right. you know? Right. And that's not helpful at all. Sure. But being able to accept certain things and say, okay, well, you know, this is going on. I can't change that. What can I do? What can I do? That's you know, what can shift. I do? And a lot of times, yeah, there's a lot we can do. You know, it's just right. easier to tell somebody else to do something, sure. you know? And to, um, your, to your point from the beginning, like, Maybe today, depending on where you are at health-wise, recovery-wise, what you can do is get up and take a shower and brush your teeth. Maybe that's what you can do, but that is that is something that's a can, not a can't. Absolutely. Know? And then eventually, um, you know, we do have to change our perspective right. a lot of times um, in recovery, mm-hmm. once we start recovering. And so now I say, instead of I have to go to work or I have to go to the grocery, it's I get to do these things. Ooh, that's so I huge. get to help others. I get to do step work. I get to sponsor women. It's an opportunity um, mindset. Instead it, of, absolutely. You know, and that's really important, I think, in recovery. That's um, so great. You know, I looked at everything as having to do it, but I was never, I was never wanting to actually do it, you know? Sure. So I had to kind of, you know, they say fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. And I had to do that for a while. Yeah. You know, I was still depressed. I honestly, some days I did not want to get in the shower. I didn't want to brush my teeth. I didn't want to do any of those things. But I, I I wasn't sober living, but I stayed around like-minded people. Right. That 
at least had a little bit more clean time than me. Mm-hmm. And I took suggestions. Yeah. You know, and I didn't fight back because eventually I realized I didn't know better. Right. And eventually, because of that community you had and because of some of the internal changes you were making through the work you were doing, yes. therapeutically and even just in daily life, things changed. Absolutely. Yes. Um, there is a guy that uh, his name's Patrick, love him to death. He goes to he he's always at Suburban North Club where I go to meetings yeah. um, and he always uh, says, change your actions, young man, and your thoughts will follow. Mm. And change your actions I, and your thoughts will follow. And I that is so true. You know, my thoughts, I was still depressed. I didn't want to do certain things, but I pushed through and I did them. And sooner or later, yeah, my thought process started to change. It wasn't, I, I have to move into sober living and, you know, I've got these court cases. It was, you know, I'm not in prison. Right. I have a warm bed and food and I'm sober. So, you know, that's better than any of the good days I had right. using. Yeah. But yeah. it's a huge um, perspective. And I think self-care is part of that as well. That's awesome. And I love how self-care is sort of self-perpetuating. It it's is. Like, you know, the more you care for yourself and invest in that, the more able to care for yourself and others. Of course. Absolutely. And it helps us build confidence. I had absolutely no confidence, yeah. you know? And so just doing the small things, making my bed in the morning, Yeah, you know, it, small things gave me some self-confidence and finally made me feel like, okay, maybe I'm worth saving because at first I didn't, I really didn't think I was, Yeah, you know, I didn't think I deserved to get better. Right. So sometimes, you know, I lived with people who thought, you know, told me I was worth getting better mm-hmm. and eventually I believed it too. That's amazing, man. That's, that's just so encouraging, you know? If, if any listeners are out there right now and you, you feel that thought in the back of your mind that you're not worth saving, please hear it from, from Allison and from me. You are worth saving. You Absolutely. Can do this. Recovery is possible. It is possible. And I really, I really didn't think it was, but yeah. I am still sober. So, you know, like it's a true miracle. That's awesome. Well, Allison, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us. I'm very confident it'll be an encouragement to our listeners. Is there anything you want to end on? Any final thought? Um, No, that's all. Thank all you right. so much. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate you. All right, that's been episode four of the Uniquely Better Life podcast hosted by the Willow Center in Brownsburg, Indiana. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Chase Cotton. Uh, join us next month for episode five. We're going to be talking about parenting in recovery.